Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Kids love movies. Movies, videos, and other forms of multimedia are these days integral to public, private, and special education curriculum. If you're a young person who can't see or can't see well, audio description provides access to all the visual images of the movies that young people who are sighted enjoy. The benefits of audio description in education. Baby Contest, sponsored by ACB's Audio Description Project and the Described and Captioned Media Program, wants those kids to experience media with audio description and then tell us about it. You have a chance to win prizes for yourself and your teacher and recognition for your school and a chance to hold the awesome title, a Baby Award winner. Just go to www.dcmp.org learn 658 to enter. That's www.dcmp.org slash learn slash 658. And keep on enjoying audio description. This is Sunday Edition with Anthony, a news magazine show featuring human interest, in the spotlight, movers and shakers, and the news and happening that affects all of us in and out of the ACB community. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Sunday Edition. I'm your host, Anthony Corona, and it's been a few weeks. It's been a tremendously busy holiday season between trying to celebrate the holiday in a new way and dealing with um, some family issues, hospitalizations, et cetera, et cetera. I had to take a few weeks off, and the show that I have for you today, I had to postpone due to an emergency but we are here today and we will be talking about losing sight midlife. We'll get to that in a moment. I first want to, uh, you guys heard that promo, Dr. Joel Snyder. And I wonder if anybody out there, please hit up the show email if you've also had this thought. I wonder if anyone else out there ever thought that Dr. Joel Snyder could be the brother of the Mr. Movie Phone guy. Love, love, love his audio description. And also speaking of audio description, the call for nominations for the American Council of the Blinds Audio Description Project Awards came out recently so if there are programs institutions etc cetera, etc cetera, that you think deserve recognition nomination etc go to the agp website check that out and nominate i know that i have a couple of um a couple of nominations that i will be submitting i also want to talk a little bit about clark rockfeld our wonderful government um <clears throat> guy <laughs> excuse me it's a sunday morning so please forgive me he will be on a great call that the florida council of the blind is holding tomorrow night it's a community call that's focusing on training for a new way of doing our leadership week and he also has a great advocacy update this week which lets us all know the new rules for air travel with service animals so be sure to check that out byron i think that there's something awesome going on with next gen maybe with a little bit of um influenced by blind pride international what do you guys got going on yeah we got we got a cool event coming up uh, with a bpi tie-in um so 
uh, BPI is going to have their big January virtual convention, one of the first special affiliate uh, conventions on the last Ooh. weekend of <laughs> January. So we're all really excited about that. And you guys are doing something cool where you will be playing a audio described version of Rocky Horror Picture Show, which is, you know, like a, a major deal. Uh, it's such such an awesome movie and and highly uh, acclaimed by by many people, and I'm a huge uh, fan of Rocky Horror Picture Show. So we we were thinking of what can we do to promote the airing of this described version of Rocky Horror, and we thought, what if we did sort of like a Who Wants to Be a Millionaire trivia question game, but all about Rocky and Brad and Janet and Riff Raff and Magenta and Dr. Frankenfurter and all of those other uh, weirdos, those rich weirdos in a hunting lodge uh, in Denton. So we're going to do a Who Wants to Be a Millionaire trivia game all about Rocky Horror Picture Show on the weekend before the virtual convention. So it'll be on Saturday, January 23rd. And um, that'll be, I believe, at I believe it's at 8 p.m. Eastern. But be on the lookout for our community calls uh, mailing list because the times uh, and and the Zoom link and everything will be available when you get your emails from Cindy um, the week of the 23rd. Uh, you will get the link and the time and everything on that mailing list. So come join us and play some Rocky Horror trivia. And kudos to your fellow board members, yourself, of course, and all of your members that put together that awesome New Year's Eve programming. I had a lot of fun. I think a lot of people had a lot of fun. So kudos to you guys for that. And let me put you on the spot for one second with some Rocky Horror trivia. What is the name of the other doctor, the old guy that pops in with commentary during the Rocky Horror Picture Show? Uh, I believe he's just called the criminalist. I don't think you mean the guy with no freaking neck. Is that who you're talking about? Yeah, him. yeah uh-huh. I would like to take you on a strange journey. Uh, I don't think he has a name. I think he's just called the criminalist or no neck guy. If you're if you're into the audience participation thing, um, I did I did want to do a, a quick shout out for my um, I have new members for my committee. For the programs committee, um, you know, of course, we already have Desiree and Melanie and Amanda, uh, our, our president, um, and and myself and Nicholas and Tyann and Ankar, who are part of our committee. But I just wanted to thank and welcome Kao, Greg. Uh, you guys not, might know might know him better as Triple G, uh, Natalie, and Benjamin and Kao. Um, you guys are awesome. I am so happy that you are part of our programs committee and welcome to the group. We are so excited to have you join us and help you have you help us come up with some new awesome events. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And in 30 seconds, what do you have going on on the fun zone tonight? Well, the fun zone is our comedy music show that I do every single week. And uh, this week I'm going to be doing, uh, we do a theme every month or every week. Uh, Some weeks we do a random bag of crap because we want people to be able to make requests. But this week we do have a theme. I had a frog in my throat when I was doing a podcast. And so I was describing the fun zone on a different show and my throat kind of went right in the middle of that. So, oh, excuse me. I've got a frog in my throat. Ah! 
frogs. That's it. Frogs. That's this week's theme. Frogs. So the themes for the show often come up in weird ways like that. So uh, you'll be hearing from Kermit and all the other you know frogs in your life uh, tonight on the Fun Zone at uh, 7 p.m. Central on Sundays at byronlee.com, B-Y-R-O-N-L-E-E.com for all your comedy music needs. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into the topic at hand. Byron is my engineer extraordinaire. And as always, thank you so much, Byron, for helming the controls. If you would like to join the conversation at any point with a question, a comment, et cetera, et cetera, just raise your hand. The links to today's show are on our Facebook community page and a bunch of the different lists. So if you're listening and there's something you want to add to the conversation, seek out the Zoom links and join us. Byron, you'll be monitoring the hands. So couple of weeks back, well, actually a little over a month back now, I had the privilege, the absolute pleasure of having a great conversation to get to know Tyson Ernst. And in the midst of that conversation, we got sidetracked as we all, as I often do, as anybody who knows me well knows that the, my favorite phrase is I digress and I often do, but we got um, into a conversation about losing sight midlife and the ramifications, the grieving process and the services or sometimes or oftentimes lack of specialized services for those of us that have lost sight that way. Quick, um, quick little recap of Anthony Corona. March will mark my fifth year losing my sight. I lost it pretty suddenly due to a conglomeration of things, but retinal detachments, shingles, um, and uh, some other things conspired for the process of me losing my sight within 20 days. I immediately started to see what I could do to make sure that I could live. You know, I lived alone, worked, um, and started mobility, et cetera, et cetera, and found that navigating and advocating for myself was way harder than I ever could have imagined when I had sight and I was bumping around all over the globe. But that's enough about me. Tyson, welcome to Sunday Edition. Say hello, and why don't we refresh everybody on who you are in ACB, a little bit about yourself, and then we'll jump into the topic at hand. Hi, Tyson. Hi, Anthony, and good morning to you and to everybody out there uh, in ACB and in the Zoom room. Uh, thanks for having me back. I'm, I'm eager to continue this conversation. Um, so a little bit about me. Uh, I live in Springfield, Illinois. Uh, prior to that, I lived in Palmdale, California, which is in the Southern California high desert region, just outside of LA. Um, and uh, I lost my sight. November was 15 years. And it wasn't like you, it was 20 days. However, it wasn't all 20 days at one point. I lost my left eye in 2004 over a period of 10 days. And then in November of 05 was my right eye. And luckily they got to it uh, soon enough and quick enough where it preserved probably about between three to 5%. So I can see a little bit um, I can see, like, if I'm looking out a window, I can see out to probably about 30, 30 to 50 feet blurry and, and, and boxy and get an idea of what's out there. But uh, detail is all lost and, and to the point now where uh, I use a white cane, I use a guide dog, and, um, and uh, it's just been... So I think everybody always loves the dogs. Do you um, feel comfortable sharing a little bit about your dog? Oh, yeah. Oh, I love my dog. So um, my, my dog's name is Bev, like Beverly. Um, uh, and she only gets the she only gets the three syllable when she's in trouble. 
<laughs> so she's so she's come to learn that uh, she just turned ten on December twenty first. So she's a she's a winter solstice puppy. Uh, I got her from GDB back in July of twelve when she was a year and a half old. So her and I have been partnered for uh, over eight years now, eight and a half years. Uh, she's a yellow lab. She's she she looks like she's about fifty pounds, but she's really sixty. <laughs> she's close to it. Uh, and she's she's a typical oh she's got that look to her um she's a lab so she's obviously driven by her stomach um, uh yeah but she's she's a she's an amazing companion and you know, she's probably got about a year year or so left in her in her working life uh, and then i'll retire her and i don't know what i'm going to do with her at that point i, wanna, I definitely yeah. wanna keep her but it depends upon my 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 living situation yeah, I can't imagine. I have Bodie, as my listeners know, he's a black lab. And um, November marked our third going into fourth year, November 6th, best day of my life, I think, up to this point, except maybe the day that I met Celine Dion. But, you know, that's a story for another day. Um, <laughs> so you um, you mentioned this conversation, and we, we spoke a little bit more in depth um, our last conversation, but Tell the viewers about that the second set of 10 days and, and what, you know, what it felt like to know that you were losing the rest, you know, almost all of the rest of your site and, and what, um, what the thought processes were and, and how it felt for you. So I think to be fair, I'll just do a real quick recap on, on, the, on the left eye, which was the first one to go because realistically I was driving to work and I had a, a 45 minute commute and it was early in the morning. Thank goodness. I, I was going against, you know, I was, I was going westward. So I was, I wasn't facing the sun, but you know, you're driving down the road, you kind of, you have an itch in your eye. So, you know, my, I'm driving and, and I'm rubbing my right eye and I noticed it looked like somebody pulled the shade down. Like there was this little, like a delineation line. Oh, I just got to, so I kind of, you know, swipe through it. No, it's not an eyelash or anything like that. Didn't think anything of it because there was no pain, anything like that. Um, Several days later, I never paid one month, but several days later, I had the same thing. I had, you know, something was in my right eye and I rubbed it, but it was later at night. And I remember I was watching something on TV and just the TV was just this big white blur out in the distance. And uh, so I ended up going to the hospital. Um, they didn't have any idea what caused it because I didn't have any kind of health issues at that point. Um, so they, they really had nothing to do other than just send me home. I uh, still had full use of, you know, 2020 in my, in my right eye. So I continued on, went to go see an uh, ophthalmologist. Uh, and uh, they, again, they still had no idea what was going on. And uh, it wasn't for a few months later where they, they did, I, I was sent to neurology and they said, oh, you have MS. I said, no, I don't. And of course we argued back and forth that I did and I didn't, I did, I didn't. <laughs> And uh, he said, well, we can't actually call it that until you have a second event. Well, the second event came in November of, of that year of 05. And that's when I was teaching at that point, I was teaching medicine and I'm in my classroom and students were taking a test. And uh, I noticed that the lights were, looked a little dim. And I thought, oh, the fluorescence, one of the fluorescence went out. So I went looking and no, there's not one, there's none of them out, but still looking dim in here, you know, something's going on. So I put my hand over my, left eye this time like a like a blindfold kind of a thing and sure enough there's that delineation line again and i'm just like oh so uh soon as soon as my students were finished i called up my supervisor said hey i gotta go i gotta go i called up my neurologist or my ophthalmologist said i gotta get in 
and that was all set. This was a Friday afternoon. Um, so I went through the weekend and it deteriorated very, very fast over that weekend to the point where uh, I left work that Friday afternoon, able to drive, going to the ophthalmologist, able to drive by Sunday afternoon, I couldn't drive anymore. Um, so I, Monday morning, I called up my neurologist and said, hey, I can't wait till Friday to see you. This is getting bad. And so he sent me to the ER uh, and I spent the next three days slowly losing my vision. Uh, they used uh, for MS at that point, the gold standard is IV steroids. So I mm. spent, I spent um, time hooked up to an IV for half an hour a day and had to sit there for the other 23 and a half doing absolutely nothing except pondering what life had to happen, what, what life was going to be like if I didn't fix this. Because uh, this was, you know, this was something that wasn't a, this was nowhere in my, in my realm of possibilities that I was going to go blind. Uh, I remember the last thing, the last real thing that I really kind of um, had, uh, had watched was, um, was I'd either watched a movie or I was sitting in there watching football, the Monday night football game or something like that it was really the last, one of the last meaningful things that I actually was able to watch. So, uh, and that was again, so that was November. So in that entire time, you know, I'm, I'm kind of trying to figure out what am I going to do? How do I do this? What, what does this even mean? You know, the doctor's yeah. telling me this, get, this could come back. It may not. MS is an on off thing. So there's just so many unknowns and the doctor doesn't know, or at least not enough to, to do that. They don't want to give you false hope. Um, but yeah. That's really and that's that. That's where I want to. That's where I want to pick up the the full thread of this conversation, because I think traditional medicine, you know, first, you know, your general practitioners and and even your specialists and and uh, sadly, unfortunately, your ophthalmologists don't know as much. I think as they should know about you know trigger signs and things like that. They don't know about low vision services. Between the first episode and you know November of twenty oh five. Did you did you receive any kind of information? Did you do any research on your own as to you know what might happen with your eyesight or things that you can do to get yourself prepared for you know ultimately if and and subsequently it did unfortunately if it did you know manifest itself in a, in a full you know almost full vision loss? No, actually I didn't, and and the reason why I didn't was because of. After, um, after the diagnosis of this is multiple sclerosis, that's where my focus was. And for those of you who have MS or have somebody who has MS, it's a, it's a, it can manifest itself in any manner of uh, neuromuscular kind of a thing. So in my case, it attacked my left optic nerve, but some people it attacks their motor neurons, so their legs uh, go numb. Uh, and it's always, it, it seems to be in 95% of the cases, it's a very temporary thing. For optic neuritis, uh, what most people describe is they lose it to like, it looks like they're looking through cheesecloth. And, okay. and, and, and so, so basically, and I, and I say that only from a visual standpoint. So if you don't understand what that is, it's like, um, if you had like a piece of nylon, uh, it's a very gauzy kind of a filtery thing. Uh, and it's hard to describe what that, what that looks like in non-visual terms because I'm describing a visual thing. Um, but... The, the, the key point is, is that in those cases, they, they resolve themselves within anywhere from 24 to 72 hours. 
And so everything is temporary with MS. So I'm not thinking long-term. I'm not thinking looking for any kind of services because that's not in the realm of possibility to me. It just, it just hadn't been there, you know, and they, and they were still not telling me as to why my left eye wasn't coming back. Other than the fact that it was just impinged to the point where it atrophied, they were hoping they could bring it back, but they just, there was never um, any discussion of beyond that, what would happen. And as the, as the second event was unfolding, what were their, what were the doctors and professionals saying to you at that point? Hello. I, I just I missed that question, Anthony. I don't know if I went oh. out or if we went. Are we no, here? Good. That's me. I just I just got an unstable internet notification from Zoom, so that's on my side. If you could repeat that, please. Um, I said, you know, as the the November of two thousand five event was unfolding, what were they telling you, and and you know, where did you end up, you know, as far as knowing, you know, where you were going to go from that point forward. In answer to the first question, they weren't telling me anything because they didn't know. Yeah. They literally had no idea other than the fact of just, you know, your, your, your eyesight's going, we're doing our best to stop it. But at, at the end, all be all, we're going to keep being here for three days. And if, and if it comes back, it comes back. If it's not, we're going to wheel you down to the front of the hospital, put you in your, in your car and you're going to go home and, and see your doctor you know, call your doctor in the, in the morning and schedule an appointment with them. And that was the end all be all of it. So I, I left not knowing. So in, so, okay, I'll actually take this back. So once that, that, that weekend, that Friday afternoon happened, right. Where I'm, where I noticed the lights in the classroom going down, I started going back to, okay, so I'm starting to not be able to see well enough where I'm going to become mobility is going to become an issue. So how do I do that? So we start relying on kind of things we've encountered in the past, okay? So not knowing a blind person, literally I did not know anyone who was blind. My, and, I, and I talked about this the last time I was on the show. My entire reference to the, to the blindness community came from a, a skit on Benny Hill and <laughs> an episode of Happy Days. When yeah. Fonz loses his eyesight, it's the worst thing yep. that's ever happened to him in the world. But if, but if he could fix his motorcycle, he gets his eyesight back. <laughs> so, so that's my entire frame of reference, you know, where the Fonz goes from this cool guy to he's got, the, he's got this white cane. So I'm like, ooh, Keaton, white cane. I need that. And, and, he, and he turns into, you know, kind of the, oh, I'm so sorry. Everyone needs to be sorry for me kind of a thing. That was my exposure to it. That's my stereotypical blind person in 2005 because i don't know yeah. for so, me it was mary from little house on the prairie i remember right. as a kid watching those episodes and and being horrified you know and thinking to myself i could never i could never you know exist in life with without sight but go on well I'll, and I'll, I'll actually actually circle back to what you just said there because of something in preparation for today i did um so so I, I knew that I had to have a white cane because white cane means I'm, white cane means I, I can't see very well, I'm blind. Um, and, I, and I just, so I went and I had no idea how to get one, had no idea the right size to get. Uh, I, I had to look around to find one and I found like this medical supply room. There was this yeah. folding one, it was completely the wrong size. <laughs> yeah. I had no idea how to use it. I mean, and I'm just fumbling through life trying to figure out this new existence. 
and how am I going to deal with this? I knew I wanted a dog, but I didn't know how you went about getting one. And, and there's this whole nine yards. Um, the, what I ended up doing was, was again, we kind of go back into, into this kind of a pop culture, kind of a driven memory circuit and say, okay, so what do I know about it that, that I can kind of, and, and I remember, okay, the lighthouse, the lighthouse for the blind. I've heard that before. So we went looking for that and couldn't, the closest one was like, you know, way far away. It was, it was, it was, I think it was in like San Bernardino or something like that, which is ridiculously far away for me to travel to. It was a few hours away. So we found the Center for Independent Living and made an appointment to go there. And, and all they could do was say, well, we can give you like, we'll get you like overlays for your washing machine and a couple of things. And, and I was just like, that's not going to help me. That's, that's nice. I get that. But if I don't understand how to operate the thing without sight, all these little cool things that you're going to add to it that, that, that a, nice, a non-sighted person uses, I have no idea how to use it. It's like, I mean, I can't even think about the, the, I know there's probably tons of analogies out there that make sense, but nothing comes to mind because it's such a mind boggling thing to go like, how do I do this? How, you know, I'm 36 years old and I have a wife and two kids that I have to support because I am their sole provider and I don't have anybody showing me any direction to go in anything. Uh, even, even my, even I lost my job. My work said, oh, you can't do the work you did fully. So you're out. Why don't you go on, why don't you go on state disability? And that's, and that's where I was shoved to. I was shoved into the state disability system. At which point they said, oh, well, you can do that. You know, you can get social security and SSDI. And so, you know, I started that whole process. Um, but Center for Independent Living then, then kind of said, well, why don't you go to, to Department of Rehabilitation? And I'm like, I had no, you know, again, these are all things humana, humana, we've huh? heard of. Yeah. These yep. are all things we've heard of, but we don't really know what that's all about. So I went in there and uh, again, made it, you know, this is probably about, this is in early January. So it'd been, you know, a month and a half, almost two months. Um, and the first thing I get hit with is like, oh, we're going to get you back to work and we're sending you to school. And oh, here's, here's this little triangle clock that we're gonna, we give everybody and you want some Braille books. And I mean, just like they're loading me down with stuff with, with not even having dealt with the fact that I don't yeah. even understand what being blind is. I don't understand yep. what low vision is. How do I, I, I'm not even dealing with this because I've been in such a survival mode. I'm in a, I'm in a, Hey, I got to put, I got to put a roof over the head. I got to put food in the stomachs. I have to make electricity happen, pay for that. That's my first part survival, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, yep. you know, security, security and, and safety. And, and then I can start worrying about the other stuff, but here I am all of a sudden being thrown all this stuff and they're like, Oh, we're going to get you back to work. I'm like, wait a minute. Let's not even worry about work. Let's, let's, how about, how about figuring out how to even walk, you know, without hanging on to somebody. So it was really, it was really, a, um, you feel like you're in a tornado and, and you're being spun around in so many different, because no one's taking the time to stop and say, what's going on in your head? Yeah. What is happening inside of you? And what thing, like, not one person stopped to say, are you, you know, how are you feeling? And the response would have been, I'm absolutely effing terrified. 
So, and I'm going to take that. I'm going to take that that phrase, and I'm going to turn around and, and go circle back to what you had said. So, in preparation for this, I kind of said, you know, there's some things out there that I understand, and I know that there's been studies done on them. So, I looked up one, and and it had to do. I literally Googled fear of blindness, and I came across a WebMD article, which uh, which was uh, peer researched, and I don't remember the name of the MD, and I got it up on my computer, so I could probably look it up, um, but. 47% of, of the people surveyed of the sample, it was something like 30,000 people, said that going, blind was, that going blind was equal to or worse than any other disability, such as hearing loss, loss yep. of speech, loss of limb, uh, loss of mobility, those kind of things. It was, it was worth it. Of, of those people, they had the, 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 the biggest thing was loss of independence. That yep. was the thing that they feared. And, and um, you know, that, that not being able to see something, the fear of the thing. And that got me to thinking, you know, so where does that come from? You know, what does that, where does that, that whole fear come from? And, and going back this morning and I, you know, I call it my, I call it my window reflections because oftentimes I have this big, in my, in my living room, I have this big like five by five window pane that's, looks out into the front yard, you know, out there in the distance, I can see the tree and the driveway and the, the street out there. And so people walk up and down my street and I'll just sit there and just kind of reflect and do my thinking. But I was going, where does this, like, that's, that's a tribal thing, our fear of the dark, our fear of the unknown. You know, uh, I was talking with somebody in a, in a call a while, a while ago when we were talking about the fact that I, you know, I, I'd seen a chiropractor because I'd thrown out my back and this was a couple years into the process. And I was the first, first visually impaired person that he had ever worked on. And he said, you, you're so tense. And I said, I don't feel it. And so he, you know, he kind of figured out how can I work on this guy? Talked to several colleagues across the company, across the country in the chiropractor field and said, and they said, oh yeah, when you're, when you don't have sight, your body stays in a constant set of state yep. of tension because you don't know what's going to happen from one instant to the next. So your body's kind of on guard constantly. Mm -hmm. and, and your body and, becomes part of your mobility tool. You know, right. you're feeling it. You're waiting for that bump. You're waiting to brush against the chair. So, you know, that's exactly. where the turn is. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Now, now I don't, and, and I can't say this because I, because again, I suffered, I suffered vision loss. My vision was, was I, you know, I sometimes say my vision was taken from me instead of, cause I didn't lose it. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't set it down somewhere and forget where I left it. It was, yeah. you know, it was taken. It's not an AirPod. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yep. I can't go on my phone and go, where's my eyesight. <laughs> um, yep. So, uh, so, so often use the phrase it was taken from me by a disease process or an injury. And, and that, you know, and, and those are other things we can explore today too, is, the different processes or part of the conversation later on is different ways. But um, I, don't know, I think I lost my track of where I was going with this because <laughs> I got distracted by my iPhone. Um, you were doing the research, um, looking at those things. Then you were meditating this morning. Uh, go, yeah. Going back to that, this is a, this is a tribal thing that, that, that we're so hyper aware of everything that goes on. And I think, I think is, is because I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, I didn't have this happen either early in life or, or, um, you know, as a result of a genetic, uh, you know, something genetically uh, due to vision loss, that, that those of us who, who suffer acquired vision loss, 
um, we're used to a different kind of an input method. Um, there's been studies that that show um, those of you who know who know. Um, are you aware of Mike Mike Mays? I think everyone yes. kind of knows Mike Mays, right? And he's yeah. and he's you know. Uh, so if you've read his book from years years back, he talks about how he went through the surgery to get part of his vision back. And some of the research that came out of that, if you read it, it's it's, it's a pretty it's a pretty amazing story. Um, but one of the research things that came out is says is is when we lose, you know, our brain develops very, most of our majority of our brain develops early on, and then we start to lose that ability, and 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 it gets decreases our ability to add more neurons and stuff like that as as we age, you know. So by the time we hit, uh, you know, in, in our seventies and stuff like that, it's it's really very very difficult to add more more to it or to reassign to it and it's not saying it's impossible and it can't be done but it's just it's difficult so but when you're a kid and he lost his sight at two years old due to a, a chemical accident in his garage okay so his the you know we rely on if, if you're fully sighted you gain 95 percent of your information visually mm-hmm. so you walk into a room you instantly, within within that first second, you see how many people are in that room, where they're seated at. Uh, if, you're, if your brain is attuned to looking for someone specifically, you can generally identify exactly where they're at within that first few seconds. That doesn't happen. So in someone who does not have the sense of vision, the sensory um, input of vision, those neurons that are meant to develop that early on in life get reassigned to other things, which is why uh, you have things that are uh, you know, we have more things that are more tactile or more auditory in nature. Not, not a better sense of smell, but just we're more aware of it. Uh, so he was saying that that because those didn't develop, when he got his sight back, he couldn't three the the, the concept of a third dimension had yes. never developed in his brain. I can yeah. So he looked at he looked at a wire a wireframe of a cube, and it looked flat to him. It didn't make any sense. Which I think, you know, there's been a lot of entertainment, you know, devoted to that concept of the person who was born blind or who lost their sight, you know, to that early on and suddenly getting, you know, sight and having to to navigate their way through the world. And I, I, I remember um, watching a movie recent, you know, a couple of, about a year and a half ago on that, you know, on that topic and thinking to myself, oh, wow, that is the exact reverse situation of what I went through. You know, I, I lost my sight literally in the space of 20 days. And in those 20 days, we're talking eye injections. I had one emergency surgery, et cetera, et cetera. You know, so I really wasn't paying attention to how much vision I had on Tuesday versus how much vision I had on Friday um, because it was a whirlwind. Or maybe I wasn't, and I don't, it, it didn't compute because of all the other things. But basically, you know, suddenly I was thrust into this world of, you know, there. I don't have any usable vision in either eye. Very in a very dark situation. If the light, if there's light behind me, I can make out like a door frame or the edge of something. But other than the light is my enemy. If there's light, I can't see anything at all. And so, you know, one one Friday, I had enough to be able to get myself to the train to get on the ferry and get back to Staten Island. And the next Friday, I didn't even have enough to get out of the building into the train station. And it was just, yeah. So I I can, you know, I can imagine, 
you know, where these, where these, you know, concepts of, of making entertainment out of, you know, someone who has no vision getting and, and the, the struggle that it must be to, to orientate yourself and to train your brain to understand. And I really got an, an understanding of it about three months into, into the process when I had no sight. I was in my apartment one night and, and um, having, you know, a couple of cocktails. I wasn't drowning sorrows or anything, but all of a sudden I could see my bookshelf. I could see my bookshelf. And I'm like, oh crap, wow. Maybe if, you know, maybe if I indulge <laughs> to a certain point, I'll be able to see enough to get through the day. Except at one point I was looking at the bookshelf and I realized that there was a knickknack on there that I had broken. My brain was piecing in information with the little bit that I could see because it was dark and there was one light on in the hallway. I could see the frame of the bookshelf and I went to touch the bookshelf. It was there. I was, I was seeing some of what I was seeing, but my brain was filling in a whole bunch of information that was no longer there. After I lost my eyesight, I broke this knickknack. It wasn't on that shelf anymore. I went to reach for it because I could see it until I put my hand there. And I did that whole thing with closing one eye, closing the other eye and seeing, you know, did it shift a little bit, et cetera, et cetera. My brain gave me information because it thought that's what I was looking at. Yeah, that's, that's, it's interesting. Um, and it, it took me back what you're talking about, you know, that visual memory, stuff like that. But I remember um, like the, the moment that it kind of sunk in that, that this was a life-changing event for me was, uh, is in those three days, um, I was a smoker back then. And so, uh, against, against all the nurses advice, I would go outside of the hospital, outside, out the doors to go smoke. And again, I'm, you know, kind of a stubborn alpha kind of person sometimes. So I was just going to do what I was going to do. And they said, don't do it. And, but I did it. And I had my, my little white cane that I had no idea how to use. And I, I, I went outside and I waited for people to open doors and stuff like that, kind of followed them and got out to a point. I'm having a cigarette and I finished it up and I realized I didn't know where I was at. And I was probably maybe 40, 50 feet from the door, but I had no idea because it was night out. I was on a, like a, you know, a walkway between buildings uh, with some open, a little bit of open, you know, kind of gardening type area, stuff like that. But I had I had become so disoriented that I had no idea was and I and it set into a full panic attack of of you know paralytic of like what do I do you know, how do I so do it? yeah I I want to focus us a little bit in a couple of different directions today and um you know you mentioned early on in this in in today's show that you know nobody told nobody you know, told you how to deal with this. Nobody told you how to, you know, kind of process what was happening to you. I want to take that one step further. When you started to go to, to VR services and, and you started to meet um, professionals in the industry and other blind and low vision who were going through it in a different way, who were either born that way or, or had a, um, you, know, you know, had RP or, or a generative, degenerative vision loss situation. Did they understand you were they helpful like what were what's your experience in coming into this world from us you know from a basically sudden rather than a you know rather than a long-term you know regression uh so the the um the program that i attended 
um, was was a was was a one size fits all kind of a kind of a program. So everyone did the exact same thing in the exact same order, um, and and it was really a basic kind of a, a life skills. We learned you had your braille, you had your independent living skills, your computer skills, and your O and M. And uh, it's the first time I'd ever been around other other visually impaired people and uh, outside of like my my rehab counselor he was he was uh he was blind and i i don't i can't say looking back on those times that that they even really dealt with that side of it um you know they they did group talks about different things but i don't think anyone had really went into the nitty-gritty of like how to deal with sight loss later in life um we didn't have you know i i don't remember having any kind of a like a group counseling kind of thing that 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 talked about that you know we talked about oh how do you manage your money we talked about oh how do you you know do these other different things but nothing about that dealt with the the personal thing. We talked about that kind of stuff amongst ourselves as students. Yeah. You know, um, matter of fact, I, I met my, who's, who's one of my best friends to this day. I met her there. Uh, she lives out in LA and we still talk to this day, but um, we, we use that time sitting around at night around the tables, playing cards or, you know, didn't have descriptive movies <laughs> back then. <laughs> So, so we're sitting around just kind of watching what we know and, and hoping we understood what was going on on, on TV. Um, but really, you know, it was just ourselves to kind of sit back and, and, and say, you know, you know, how we're really feeling about this. Yeah, in the state of New York, which is, you know, where I was when this happened, um, they offer 12 uh, counseling sessions. However, I was dealing with the Commission for the Blind, um, the lighthouse for my O&M. It wasn't until I was up in Smithtown, Long Island, Guide Dog Foundation, going for Boney, that somebody, you know, somebody in the class had said, and I was the the only new guide dog user, which I, I for this day, uh, you know, for the rest of my life, I will always be internally grateful that I had the seven people that I was with. They were incredible. They gave me, they gave me so much more than anything any service, any anything up until that point. And from that point, those two weeks gave me more than anything in my blind experience to this point. And um, my Bodhi's sister, her name is Aster, and her um, her beautiful, beautiful handler is Lorna, um, a very, very good friend of mine at this point. And she had said to me, you know, did you grieve your eyesight? And and for, for a second, I was like, what? Uh, no, what are you talking about? And then it like hit me like a ton of bricks. Wow. No, I didn't. And she's like, doesn't your state offer, because she's from um, Massachusetts, doesn't your state offer any sort of counseling? And I, I said, not to my knowledge, no. Uh, you know, I've been dealing with the Commission for the Blind for, you know, a couple of months now, almost a year at that point. No, I, I don't think so. Or, or somebody would have told me, except I went home that, you know, and that Monday got on the phone waited three or four days for the counselor to actually call me back. <laughs> and that's, you know, quite another mm -hmm. issue that we'll discuss on another day. But when he finally called me back, I, I said, you know, I, I was up getting Bodhi and, and, uh, and uh, they, they said that there's 
a counseling, you know, um, voucher or waiver or something that you can get, you know, you can get some, some services. Are there dedicated, other dedicated practitioners for this? How does this work, et cetera, et cetera. And his answer to me was, oh, I don't think so. And, and I said, no, but you know, I, I know this. Well, what state is, is she from? I said, Massachusetts, but she's pretty sure that in a state like New York, he actually didn't know and had to find the information out and get back to me. And I did subsequently have those 12 visits. It was, it was an incredible process for me. I, I definitely mm -hmm. grieved and I learned a lot about myself and a lot about, you know, at that point I didn't realize that I was feeling emasculated in, in so many ways because I grew up playing baseball. I, you know, I, I was very a, physic, a very physical person and beyond the, the mobility training and getting Bodhi and, and all of that, I still didn't have my mojo, so to speak. I, I, I was not fearful of everything, but so concentrated on making sure that I did everything right. And I did it and I didn't harm myself or anyone else that I was slowly losing all of the, the pieces that made Anthony Anthony. And thanks to that, that process, I, I, I began, after the 12 visits, I actually went and sought out my own therapist to continue that work, but also to continue figuring out that Anthony's not going to go back to the Anthony he was before all this happened. I have to take what's happening and and the Anthony who was and bring that into this new life and, and figure out who I want to be and how I want to be, who I want to be going forward. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it, it just, and this is, I, I have to repeat this one more time. This is New York City probably one of the best places on the planet if you have a medical situation that you need dealt with if you're in new york you know you're pretty much golden if you know where to go and you know how to go there um unfortunately even the professionals didn't know that this was an option and a, a, an option for me to help me along my way and had i had that in the first year I think my my transition and my journey would have been so much easier and so much um, so much more successful. I, I credit myself, you know, the the counselor, uh, not counselor, the um, field representative who came down from the guide dog school and went through my route and you know how I was doing a, a little over a year um, in uh, orientation and mobility, how how well I was doing going from Staten Island on buses and trains and ferries, et cetera, et cetera, into bus, literally 23rd Street, Manhattan, which is one of the most populated uh, business areas of Manhattan. Um, and he fought for me because the school didn't want to give me the dog so early on in my process. Um, but he fought for me and they brought me up and took a chance on me. But, um, you know, it, it blew my mind at that point that Matt, even even the professionals in the, in the low vision, uh, visually impaired, area had no idea that that was even a possibility i i think that's because you know and i think this would be a great thing for the rehabilitation task force uh of acb to take a look at if and i don't know because i don't i don't know their work sadly um no that's a great segue segue because doug powell is here with us today too to oh, talk from that perspective Perfect. But go ahead, finish your thought. Well, I was going to say because I know, I know, you know, we talk about the re, what's known as the rehab model, which is, you know, which is very like, like I said, the the, and I use it, and I I don't mean it in a derogatory term, but it's like get you back to work, 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 um, and we we do that, and how do we do that? You know, we 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 put tech in your hands, we show you how to use it, um, 
but in that first thing, I don't think anything was ever asked of me of like, like I said, how are you doing? How have you done with this? You've only been at this for, like I said, when I, it was, a, it was a, a, a month and a half when I met him and he says, well, you're going to go down to LA and be away from your family for, for, you know, three, four months and you can come back on the weekends because it's a live-in program. And I said, I'm not ready for that. Yeah, I'm so not ready for that. My family's not ready for that. And so I didn't end up going until September of that year when I'm like, okay, now I know I need to, I need to do this. This is what I need to do because I had no idea what I needed to do. It's also, it's also so, so brand new. Do you think if you were in a, a therapeutic situation, you would have come to, to making the decision, the decision to go earlier than you did? You know, I, I don't know because I've never been through any type of grief counseling. So I don't know what that, what that looks like as far as how that would help me um, to have came to a better conclusion in, that, in, a, in a sooner time frame. Um, I think part of my decision was learning to reorient my thought process in like, you know, of not returning to, like, like you said, not returning to who Tyson was, because I think that's probably some of the thought process we have is that, oh, if I go through all this training, I'm going to be back to exactly what I have. Yep. But, yes. but rather yes. have, but rather have that time between, between when a person when a person who comes to comes to vision loss later in life and a significant amount towards life changing, whether that's sudden, whether that's accidental uh, due to injury or due to sudden disease or whatever it is, there's a chrysalis phase where, where we're, where we need to have that time inside that, the, inside that cocoon where we're learning who's going to come out on the other side of that. And, yeah. and what that's going to be, is that going to be someone who, who understands like, you know, my whole, my whole journey at that point had been based around things that are visual. I, I worked in medicine. Well, I'm not going to be the one, I can't take blood anymore. I can't put a needle in somebody's arm and get blood. Yep. Okay. At least not safely. <laughs> you know, people say, I, I laugh because people say, well, can't you, well, you can't drive anymore. I'm like, oh, yes, I can. I can drive really well in a straight line until something gets in the way. Yep. <laughs> so, so I can do these things just not safely. <laughs> um, and I think that's the process of understanding how that is. Is like, you just have to, you just have to re and, and we often have, um, you know, we're, we're, we're so uh, the, the pro okay. What I encountered, I'll, I'll, I'll lead it that way. What I encountered, because it's not what it's not, I don't want to blanket genericize it, that, that it happens everywhere. Cause it doesn't happen. This is what happened to me is I was told I can do anything. But at that point, I didn't know what anything should be. And it was just, yes. you know, I, I said, I said, I taught music. Okay, well, cool. You're going to be music. You're going to go to college for music. Boom. And that was, that was the cut and dry of it. Not let's explore how this is going to work for you. Let's explore whether this is something that's going to be the possibility to the point where I ended up changing my, my degree path and my, and my goals like four times before I ended up in my, with, with what I did in my education and still wasn't the right path for me. Absolutely. At this at this moment, um, I want to ask one of my very good friends, a ECB member, BPI member, Tom, you're on the call and, and I'd like to know some of the stuff that we've been talking about up to this point. Have you had similar experiences? What, um, what did it look like for you and where are you at hearing 
some of the stuff we've talked about so far. Well, hello, everybody. My name is Tom Babcock. I live in Orlando. Can you hear me? I'm okay. We can. Welcome to Sunday Edition. Thank you, Anthony, for having me on. And Tyson, it's so nice to meet you and listen to you. I'm standing here on mute, you know, jumping up and down. Me too, me too. You know. <laughs> Thank you so uh, much. Uh, I am, uh, well, I am 66 years old. I retired early at 62. Um, I got a nice part-time job that I really dearly love, bought a new car. And a year later, I lost my sight. I, I only had one eye. My right eye, uh, I lost sight in it about 20 years ago, but I had 20-20 vision. I was driving, working. Um, I'm a part-time landscape designer uh, and, bit, you know, very active life, such as yourself. And I went to a family reunion, stayed at a really nice Marriott hotel, and at three o'clock in the morning I got up in the hotel room and came back to bed and I tripped on a carpet and the side of my left the left side of my face I hit a corner of a granite countertop falling down mm. uh, I won't go into the details but I was rushed in to put my eye back together and my sight went out totally black, totally no sight at all in an instant. And uh, my experience was, okay, about a month later, I had a good friend, good blind friend uh, that I knew about, but didn't really have much contact. He calls me up and said, you got to get to Lighthouse. You got to get in the council, Greater Orlando Council of the Blind and do all this and blah, blah, blah. And everything's moving real fast. And I don't know what I'm doing. I am scared to death. I am angry. I am just like, oh my God, what happened? And uh, so I went to Lighthouse, long story short, I went to Lighthouse 2018 for a full year, independent living classes, technology classes, iPhone classes, uh, even some braille classes. And after that year, I walked out and I was like, something's still missing. Something is missing. And so I took it on my own to find a counselor. I thought, well, I'll just talk to somebody about, you know, what it's like to be blind and how to grieve. And, you know, everybody's saying you got to grieve this. And that. Like, I didn't understand that either. Um, so I found a counselor and the first three sessions were like free, getting to know you. And then at the end of the second session, he tells me, okay, what the deal is, uh, you can either continue with me or I can find search in my colleagues someone that you know would be better well versed in being blind than i am and i said okay but i like talking to him so my third session i went back and he said i'm going to tell you something he researched the tri-county area here orange county seminole county and osceola county could not find any psychologist counselor anybody that knew anything about being blind vision yeah. loss later in life know nothing yeah. about it and i was like well i like talking to you so i'll continue with you and i went to his office and now i'm paying them you know paying the price and i and a friend of mine came up from st pete went to a family and friends class at lighthouse of central florida and it's like they hand you this big booklet of the 
people you bring in and your family about what it's like to be blind and blah, blah, blah. So I got a copy of it and took it to him. Well, the next session, I feel I'm counseling him. I'm teaching him, which is okay. I'm going to be an advocate for myself anyway. But I, And finally, he just said, well, what did you get out of this? I said, well, what I got out of it, I'm counseling you, and I think you should be paying me. But <laughs> uh, there's still, I mean, there is where I live. Uh, I even asked my ophthalmologist. He couldn't find anybody. I talked to him when I see him you know, just to say hello, there's not much they can do. Because they sent me to Bass and Palmer for surgery. They, I mean, the University of Miami, which is a great place, and don't get me wrong. But they, you know, on the operating table, the doctor tells me, oh, there's nothing we can do for you. And it's like, okay, well, thanks for being honest. Uh, but there is no one to talk to. And when something like this happens, I just notice all the friends I had, uh, they kind of disappeared. Amen. They yep. don't. And uh, a, through a mutual friend, I saw these this couple that I used to run around with and hang with. She said, well, why don't you call Tom? Well, I don't know what to say to him. Uh-huh. Well, say hello. How are you? But there is no one to talk, I mean, other than you guys. And this has like been awesome for me just listening to you. Uh, you know, I live in a, you know, you're right. You live in this dark bubble and yes, I'm getting around. I'm doing fine. I, you know, I got my white cane. I don't have a dog. I mean, I have two little dogs, but they're trying to help as best they can. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, there's no one really professionally to go to, to talk to is like, I'm feeling this, I'm feeling that. Cause you tell your, my sighted friends, I have, oh, you're just, you'll be fine. You just, you know, you're doing good. You're, you know, we're proud of you. We're all that. That's not, you know, I need someone to really dive into it. Does that make sense? It, it does. It does. I want to ask you something and I, and I want to throw a disclaimer out there before I ask you first and foremost, I, none of us, I'm, I'm pretty sure the two of you will agree. None of us are bashing or want to down um, on the lighthouses or the vision oh, no. serves that no. are out there, vision centers, any of it. We're not downing it, but I, I think, you know, to highlight no, no. these experiences, if we don't speak, if we don't put it out there, then how is anyone going to know? Right. Exactly. So I, I wanted to make that disclaimer. And then I wanted to ask you, you're on the board for the greater GOC, correct? Correct. Um, you're one of the vice presidents, I believe. Yes. So, you know, and again, the second portion of the disclaimer is I don't want anyone who's low vision blind, who's been dealing with it for a long time, who's been in, you know, in ACB for a while to feel any sort of negativity from this question. Oh, no. But not, I'm not whatsoever. The, I'm um, going to ask the elephant in the room question. When you started to deal with um, the greater Orlando chapter, did you have a good amount of support and understanding from the sudden loss perspective and where you were and where you needed to be in life versus, um, you know, versus life in general? Um, I got the sense of camaraderie that I was around other totally blind uh, men and women. Uh, 
I was just, I just sat and listened for the first year. I really didn't comment. I just listened and learned and tried to educate myself. Um, I will tell you the best person through this whole thing, and it's only been three years for me, this happened three years ago to me, uh, was Lighthouse. And I was walking out the door, getting on my uh, paratransit bus my first time with my white cane. And I, you know what, I can do this. I can do this. I'm proud of myself. I'm walking out down the driveway. I get to Lighthouse and go in the door for my first day of class. And I, I was just frozen. I was frozen. I didn't know what to yeah. do and everything. And all of a sudden I heard this voice, is that Tom? And I said, yes, sir. And his name is Christopher. He was the instructor. He came up to me and he's also visually impaired. He grabbed my hand. He goes, come with me. You're going to be okay. And that was a saving grace for me. And I melted and like, they can't, they have to kick me out of lighthouse now because I keep going back. But uh, that was a saving grace. And the saving grace was also joining the council of the blind and sitting and just listening for about a year. And now I'm, you know, second vice president. I'm, you know, have met Anthony and Gabriel and uh, all these nice people. And it, it, it feels better. It feels a lot better than it did three years ago or two years ago. But still there's that, missing part that I want someone to talk to that maybe understands a little bit what I'm saying just you know and I think that's what's missing in a lot of us especially being older and like hey I retired I had a new car I had a nice part-time job I was going to golf outings I was you know doing my landscape design business I was like oh this is great you know and I'm very active I work out um, these are the years that I worked for all my life. Uh -huh. is, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And all of a sudden it stopped. It stopped that night. And, uh, it was, it was, a uh, very, uh, frightening. And then the anger sets in and I'm treating people not very nice. And I finally sat myself down. I was all by myself in the house. And I said, I can't be acting like this. I have got to stand up and do something. And that's when I started with Lighthouse and started getting out with the white cane. And I even had to tell my family who would not come and visit me, if you're embarrassed by my white cane, then do not come and see me. Because this yeah. is part of my life now. And that was acceptance for me. Tyson, if I can throw the same question to you. Oh, um, I gotta remember, I gotta take myself back into that, into that place. Um, I didn't come into any kind of, like I said, I was, I was at this one place, but I wasn't around even after that time when I graduated from that, uh, I really wasn't around visually impaired people. So, uh, I didn't even hook up with the first, you know, one of the, one of the consumer organizations I went, I first came into into my into the blind organizations with with nfb back in 2016 so wow went, from 2005 uh, wow 11 years wow. um because because partially was uh one of the persons that i was dealing with as instructor was very anti-consumer organizations and was and told me don't drink the kool-aid mm. and uh so i had a negative connotation of them until i got to a point where i said you know what if, if I'm going to do what I want to do in life, I have to 
network with people who are who think and are like me. Yeah. Yes. Yes, sir. And and that's where I first came into it, and then uh, and eventually I didn't find my way to ACB until uh, 2017 when I moved here to, to Illinois. So well, I guess I guess um, take me back. Give me give me a, give me a real quick rundown on what the, the, the basis of the question was again. So once I, you once you came into well, you know, honestly, I think I want to ask more about the rehabilitation uh, center you were in, and then. Um, when you encountered other, you know, persons that were living with this through, you know, slow degeneration or uh, RP or things like that, did you feel that they understood, um, you know, and could identify and, and help you? In the, in the sense of the staff, no. In the sense of the students, some, because I I think any place we go, any, anything we do in life where we're in, in amongst a group of people, there are some people we naturally gravitate towards and some we don't. Uh, yeah. and, that's, and that's just nature. Um, but, and so there, you know, like I said, like I said, I met my best friend there and, and her and I like click on such a, such a deep, deep, deep level. Um, but going back to the staff portion of it, uh, when you're literally running a model that says it's one size fits all, as I said, and, and everyone does the same things, you go through basic computers and to do basic computers, you did these skills. And it was a checklist. It was a checklist model. You Okay, you could literally go click, 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 click. Yep, he's done all these things. He graduates. You know, it wasn't a matter of how does that fit into his life? Um, yeah. and, so, and so to them, while I'm, and I don't want to characterize this that they didn't care. Okay, because that's not my. That's not right. I'm not saying that either, and I don't think Tom is either. They just didn't know. It's it's just really. They very much care. They don't have the. Okay, in 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 a in a situation in any kind of an institutional situation, you have to be careful at as to how much intimate connection you have to a person, especially someone that is in a client, student, participant, whatever you call it now. Um, because, because they're, you know, we're, we're in a, we're in a, we, we live in a society now that is quick to say that something happened. Um, and not to say yeah. that it doesn't, not, not to at all say that it doesn't because that's a really know, good point. We, yeah. Because mm-hmm. we do know that it does now. Okay. And, and I don't want it straight to that topic, but, um, in order to get down to the nitty gritty of someone, like what I was going through, what I needed help with, with grief, you have to develop that kind of a relationship or, or delve deeper and kind of get to know each other personally. Whereas opposed to in Braille, I'm, I'm in a classroom with set, with eight other people, seven other people, and there's two instructors and we're done in an hour. Yeah. There's not, there's not time there. It's, it's very task oriented, you know? And even, even in guide dog school and, and I will sing the praises of GDF for, for the rest of my life, but even in guide dog school where, you know, they pride themselves on saying individual instruction and working out, you know, your individual needs, et cetera, et cetera. That also, you know, I learned more from the other participants, the other guide dog handlers than I, than I actually did. And nothing against GDF. Um, I, they did an amazing and incredible job preparing me out into the world, but it was still cookie cutter. And, and that individual, um, you know, I was with 
somebody from Boston. We were the only two metro kind of people. The rest, you know, were dealing with no sidewalks and and um, a lot less of a of a city. Yeah, a very rural gang. Um, you know, so a lot of a lot of the uh, group sh- stuff you know, really didn't apply much to me. I would have rather have had more time getting on and off the train. And, and you know, we did two days in Manhattan, which was beautiful and wonderful. But, you know, the six days that we did out in the town on Long Island didn't do much for me. I, you know, I needed much more of the, so it's, it's, it's definitely kind of across the board. And this is the perfect times for Sunday edition to take a quick break. Byron, when we come back, I am going to bring Doug Cowell into the conversation and you can start being on the lookout for hands that are raised. Sunday edition will be back in a moment. The American Council of the Blind plays an important role in the daily lives of blind and visually impaired individuals all over the country. Whether it's making products and services more accessible for the blind, advocating for appropriate education for blind students, issuing scholarships to deserving college students, fighting for accessible currency, along with a host of other issues, it takes contributions from all of us. You can help by joining the Monthly Monetary Support Program, MMS. It's a great opportunity for members and friends to make sure these efforts continue. What ACB does enhances all of our lives. For more information, go to our website, acb.org, click on the donations link, go to the MMS tab, and enter. Or call 612-332-3242. Welcome back to Sunday edition. So I want to promise everybody out there listening, I know that there's been um, some communication to me that this is a conversation that people have been waiting to hear. So Tyson has agreed to come back a couple of times over the, we're gonna do one of these conversations a month focusing um, on specific topics going forward, but we wanted to do kind of a generalized feel where we all feel, where we all are, et cetera, et cetera. So this is the first of what will be several conversations. At this moment, I would like to introduce ACB board member, Doug Powell. I've been working my way through the board on Sunday edition and I've been meaning to get to you. So thank you so much for reaching out and wanting to be part of this topic. We will uh, definitely sit down one-on-one and get to know you in a future Sunday edition. Doug, welcome. I was hoping that you would briefly introduce yourself and, and who you are and what you do, and then maybe give us a couple of impressions on the conversation we've had so far. Sure, Anthony. Thank you so much for having me. Um, hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Doug Powell. Absolutely. I'm 70 years old, going to be 71 in another month or so. Um, and uh, I have RP, retinitis pigmentosa. So I have been gradually losing my vision through my whole adult life. Um, I um, got bad enough that I had to leave work uh, when I was 46 years old and um, had not had any kind of uh, uh, exposure to the consumer organizations. Um, You know, I'd I'd sort of gone to uh, Johns Hopkins earlier and uh, they were doing research on RP. So I, you know, I was their guinea pig. And um, then, you know, so I said at at some point, you know, they asked if I wanted to, you know, to get involved with some organizations. So they, they got, hooked me up with the local organization. I live in the Washington, D.C. area in Falls Church, Virginia. And um, so they got me in touch with the Washington, D.C. chapter of the Foundation Fighting Blindness. Uh, it was called the RP Foundation at that point. But um, 
And so I thought, oh, great. You know, now I can sort of start learning how to be a blind person. Uh, how, you know, what can I, you know, what are the hints I can use? I still had some vision, but I, you know, I was, um, you know, I went through life oblivious. I, I would run to, you know, to, uh, to catch a train, you know, catch a, a subway in, in Washington. And uh, sometimes I ran into people and they say, what are you on drugs? And finally I realized, oh yeah, they don't realize that, um, that I can't see very well. And I, I'm not helping them by not, by not having a white cane. So, um, mm-hmm. so I, 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 at first I got a white cane mostly so other people knew that I wasn't seeing everything that they were seeing, although I still had some vision. Um, and, you know, so it, it, like everybody else, it was a process of, uh, you know, of um, uh, trial and error. <laughs> and uh, um, I, I went to the uh, RP Foundation and I wanted hints on being a blind person. They wanted a uh, poster child to, you know, to raise money. And mm. so our relationship didn't last very long. <laughs> um, and then uh, finally, I, I did get to the uh, to the consumer organizations, and I I, I started with the, I, I somehow I started with the um, with NFB, and um, was you know was it in in their chapter for a couple of years, and uh, realized that. Um, I didn't agree with some of the things that they were, you know, that, that they were being hard nosed about. And um, so I, I wanted to find a different place. So I, I did find ACB and um, have been with ACB ever since. Uh, now I'm the, um, I'm on the board. Um, I'm also the chair of the rehabilitation issues task force. So um, I um, got involved with rehab through my mentor, uh, Pat Beattie, um, who was a a strong force in this organization for a long time. And um, she took me under her wing and got me involved with the rehab system. And so I kind of learned the system from the outside. So you guys have been talking about as a consumer, as as a client, um, by the way, I hate the word, they use the word, they had for a long time used the word consumer. You know, you were a consumer, which sounds like, you know. We're buying something. They had a program. Yeah, I'm eating something. <laughs> yeah, we, they had a program that they were going to feed you and you were going to consume it, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I much prefer client because client um, sort of connotes uh, a, a relationship. Um, and, you know, and I, you know, I have some, I have some, uh, say in how my rehabilitation goes based on my needs and and, and that kind of thing. Um, I want to stop you there for one moment because that's, I, I also agree. I much prefer the term client. Um, I don't really even like the word, the term participant no. because it, it feels like, okay, same thing. Like we're, you know, we're feeding this out and you get to partake of it. Yep. If, if you so choose, rather than building, you know, building a relationship, building a foundation for your own. Yeah, go ahead, yep. Doug. Yep. So, um, so I got involved with the rehab, uh, and I've also recently uh, become a member and also uh, a, um, a, a chair of the policy committee of the, one of our special interest affiliates called the Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss. And um, part of what has brought me to them 
is number one, I'm getting older, but number two, the issue of, uh, well, um, going back to the, the Rehab Act was changed in 2016, 2016 um, with this passage of the Workforce Innovation and Opportunity Act or WIOA or WIOA. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's the latest incarnation in which we got screwed. Um, yep. At for, and I'll tell you one of the reasons why, and, and it feeds into some of the conversation that you guys have been talking about. If you lose a limb, for example, you go in and the medical profession does whatever they can to, um, to fix your body. And then you go into occupational therapy and physical therapy and you uh, get fitted for a prosthesis or whatever, you know, wh whatever is appropriate for for your condition so that you can start to uh, uh, rehabilitate and start uh, living life as normal as possible. Um, you know, so you have those things that are all after the medical intervention, you know, you guys all had your, you had accidental or, or um, short-term, you know, loss of your vision. Uh, mine was long-term, but, you know, so the point is that ophthalmologists or you know whatever they do their thing and then they say okay i'm done i don't know what else to do for you whereas the system for other disabilities many other disabilities uh, starts from medical intervention and still goes through uh, um you know the occupational therapy the physical therapy and those things that are getting you back into regular life um as a as a continuum and as a general, as a, um, a normal process that's all paid for by insurances. Yeah, I like to look at it as though you get, you know, you get on the train or the subway yeah. and along the way, you know, you kind of have all of your stops pre-mapped out. You're you know, right they know, yeah, they know yep. where to, you know, where you're going, where they need to send you through this and that. but you know, from our vantage point, from our perspective, it's sort of like, okay, there's a subway and there's a bunch of stops. Now figure out which ones you need and where, you know, which ones you're going to go to first, et cetera, et cetera. That's right. right. So, yeah. so, so by the time you get to the, by, by the time somebody, uh, you know, some of these other disabil dis disability groups get that, you know, have, have gotten all of their, you know, all of their uh, needs handled and they're ready to go to work, work, you know, work readiness, is really a pretty, uh, pretty short-term, simple process of getting the skills that you need for a particular job category, and and then you know getting you know getting up and running and going. Um, whereas we, at, you know, as as you were saying, Anthony, uh, I don't think a lot of people know what the, all those stops are along the way that you were talking about. Um, and certainly you don't have a, you know, you don't have anybody guiding you unless you've gotten hooked up with one of the consumer organizations, you have nobody guiding you as to what's available, what, how you should uh, advocate for what the services that you need and where it is you're, you're planning on going. I was struck uh, in all, all of your cases that um, you pointed out different aspects of starting to cope with blindness. Um, I think it's an interactive process. The chrysalis that uh, Tyson was talking about, I think that's an interactive process because I don't think you can 
start talking about who the new you is until you know what skills you have that you can apply to the new life. So, you know, so you're, you're number one, you're, you're, you're uh, emotionally and, and uh, intellectually figuring out who the heck you are for the rest of your life. But you don't know that until you've got some skills and can figure out, well, I like doing this and I don't do that, you know, and, you know, Braille, I'm too old for Braille, but you know, what else can I do for, uh, you know, for audio stuff, you know, they'll, those kinds of decisions of, uh, that you can make for, you know, as an individual uh, with, you know, all of us are going to make different decisions, but uh, that goes into the whole question about who you, who you are going to be. Um, so I, I agree with that. We, we haven't figured out the process. I don't think nobody's figured out the process on how to do this, but the, the point, the, the long way around that I was trying to get to was, one of the things that we're working out, working on at ACB is starting to get legislatures, you know, because we've, we've uh, bitched and complained at, at the RSA, at the Re- uh, Rehabilitation Services Administration for years. And, you know, they say, well, you, and, and it, would, it came clear to me last year when um, Mark Schultz came to the um, to the legislative seminar uh, at, yes. the, uh, at the leadership conference last February. And he's, you know, and, and I realized we can't, you know, it doesn't do us any good to complain to him. He didn't write the law. He has to abide by the law, you know, just like everybody else does. So what we need to do is educate legislators that our, our system is different than the people who are in wheelchairs or the people who have, uh, you know, have our amputees. Our system is not as st- straightforward and streamlined as those other disability groups. So we need to start addressing the issues that are standing in the way of us getting the services we need. And I, I'll go further and say, I think there's a, a baseline level of services that we need to be literate, independent um, members of our communities before we even talk about what we're going to do about work. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to highlight my own specific situation because, you know, in conversations that led to having this show and, and just conversations in general, I've run into quite a few people who've had a similar experience. I got to the point where, you know, they sent me to an organization for work readiness, et cetera, et cetera. And, and they were, you know, resume writing classes and, and all this kind of stuff that was like, here, let me just show you my resume up to this point. This I don't need. Can I skip to the next level, et cetera, et cetera. They didn't like me. Um, and, and, and I understand why. Um, I didn't want to waste their time, their money and my time you know, I wanted to get to what I needed. And, you know, at some point I had been sent upstate New York to talk about a call center job position, et cetera, et cetera. And I went back in, in, that, pro- in that process, they were staffing a brand new call center and they were also hiring for management. Um, you know, and I, and I handed them my resume and we started the interview and, and about halfway through, I, I, I said, you know, you asked me if I have any questions and I do. Um, can we table this interview and can I actually interview for one of the management positions? Take a look at my experience thus far. There was dead silence in the room for about a minute. And then 
oh, well, we're, we're basically uh, promoting from within. That's not what you said about two minutes ago, literally in this interview, but okay. Um, you know, and, and it, the, the conversation down, you know, went downhill from there. But I got back to New York, you know, and, and relegated the situation and my frustration, et cetera, et cetera. And, and you know, the counselor, um, client, uh, a case manager or whatever, I'm sorry, I'm not sure what the exact terminology was, basically said to me, you know what? I, I don't know what to do with you. There, there's nothing here that I can that I can use to do with you. I, I don't know what to tell you, actually. And and I was, you know, again, <laughs> I've, I've gotten used to being flabbergasted at this point. Um, do you think that, you know, the services and the model of service that's out there has not really had a good look at those of us and even some people with RP and, and other degenerative conditions, sometimes, you know, they go for years and years and years and then suddenly it spirals and, and very quickly, but you've had a full and complete life up until that point. You have a career, you have a family, you have a car and insurance and mortgages, et cetera, et cetera. What do you, do you think at large, the model doesn't have space for those of us that fall into that situation? I'll go even further. Uh, I think that I think that most rehabilitation is probably fairly decent. I know we all have you know we all have stories about rehabilitation and how it didn't quite meet our needs and all, all that kind of stuff. We all have our war stories. But the the where the ru rubber meets the road is once you've been through those services and you go out and you uh, you go to an interview for a job. The question you know, obviously is, you know, if, if I'm a manager and I have people who have uh, similar skill, skills and experience, who am I going to hire first? Somebody who's fully sighted or somebody who's blind? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so um, I think, uh, I think that what, what we need is a, uh, uh, an effort by um, by government and by you know a, a conservative effort by whoever and I'm not sure who that whoever is, um, but we need to have a conversation about um, the uh, underlying uh, concerns that people have about hiring a blind person, and once we got a decent once we've made decent inroads in that, then it's up, then it's up to us as blind people to impress those people and, and do the job. I, I absolutely agree. I think that's a campaign that, that, that ACB should serious, take serious consideration of taking on, you know, as a full-blown initiative. Let me ask you as well, um, on the, the grieving portion of it, the, you know, the receiving, you know, services towards your own personal uh, you know, marching through with it, grieving, learning to figure out who you were, who you are now and who you're going to become. Is there something that ACB can do in the task force and the special interest affiliate? Is there something more that we could be doing to, to bring light on this, this portion of the, of the journey, so to speak. Yeah, and I was going to ask the same question because uh, Tyson, Tom, and you all, you know, and, and I also, um, you know, approached a, 
at some point approached a, um, a chapter of either NFB or ACB um, and needed some help, you know, needed people to talk to who knew what you were talking about. And it didn't, it didn't sound to me like we as chapters of ACB had, uh, meet the needs of new people coming in in that in regards to their um, emotional welfare. And Doug, you're, you're talking exactly as you're as you were speaking this out and, and listening to the conversation you were going with. That's kind of what struck me as possibly the place to go is is if we if we were to set out an initiative, and this is something worth exploring where we kind of encourage the local chapters of each of the state affiliates to get out through hospitals, through rehab services, whatever, that this is, and they, and they have a, whatever time frame they can hold it in, whether it's, you know, once every other week or once a week or something, just a forum where someone who is newly blind or is, or is introduced into that world has a place just to come in and just hang out with people who are like them to see that it's not, you know, for me, I, I lived in a, in a rural area. It had, half a million people in it but it was so far set away from from the major metropolitan area where i had to take you know metro yeah, link into, right, into la right, to get right, to it right and then several other methods which i was not quite comfortable with being able to do ready to go right um and and it was you know and it was on a time that wasn't it wasn't easy to get to so it, if there were those kind of uh, of a I don't want to say a service because it's not a service. It's literally just a, a method of just, Hey, getting together with, with a couple people on a, on a Friday night or, or, right. you know, a Saturday morning or something and just saying, we're just going to, we're just going to hang out and we're going to do whatever and just talk like a support group, kind of a thought process, get that out to the hospitals. Like I said, the hospitals, churches, something where we have this kind of a blanket campaign of saying, if, if you come across someone who is just is losing their sight is uh, is going through the process of that while we're not necessarily a counselor or something like that right we're not professional right right but we're people who have been through it yeah and i I don't know about you guys but uh our chapter has been holding zoom calls on friday nights exactly yeah round table uh zoom calls um, and we're not hooked up with the ACB community calls, but um, we're, we're kind of doing it, you know, doing it on our own. Um, and um, I, I think I think that's a viable vehicle. Uh, you know, I think Zoom has has created some opportunities for us, and especially to what you were talking about, Tyson, about you know not being able to come in. I mean, we we instituted it as uh, part of our uh, spearheading trying to get a, a larger reach around our state because we have we're basically one chapter and uh, we wanted to bring in some new people and uh you know and, and and talk to them without them having to come up to northern virginia and um you know and if they like what we were about then you know then they can join um it hasn't we haven't uh, we haven't had the, we, we've, we've had a few people come in and, and, and sign up for, with us, um, but not as many as, as we would like, certainly. So yeah, that's, that's always a question is how do we get the word out? And, um, right. you know, and, and then what do we have as a mechanism to help, you know, once, once we've got them? 
Right. It's, it's, I think fi- to be it's finding fair. those avenues. Yeah, finding those avenues yeah. and, and getting yep. that message and what's the, you know, how do you craft that and how do you get it out and, and, and reach as many people as you can. Yep. I think to be fair, I want to say that we absolutely have the structure in place, the community calls. Um, there are, there's an actual call on this topic that's happening. Um, I don't I think it's bi-weekly. I'm not sure. Um, you know, but there is a call on this topic. There are, you know, there, at this point, there's almost anything that you're interested in. There's a call somewhere in the community call structure. And, and I think that's amazing. We also have, you know, all of the convention archive and we're about to embark, you know, later on this year on in a second virtual convention. I think that that material could be packaged up to go out to hospitals, other consumer organizations and or uh, rehab um, service centers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that, you know, we want to be the go-to organization. Well, then we kind of got to package it up and put it out there and kind of go after just to say we're here isn't enough. You know, we kind of, you know, we need to go out there. You know, I remember early on in my in my work life, I worked at a store and, um, you know, we had a greeter at the door most times in this event, but when traffic was slow and there was a lot going on outside, we went outside with samples, stood out there, talked to people, brought them into the store, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, as, as an organization, I think it's now time to take the structures we have in place and the, you know, the incredible, um, peer support, et cetera, et cetera, that we have, the family feeling, the community, and and go out there and pull. We need to find and pull those that have not experienced what ACB has to offer in, and let the you know let the organizations know who we are and what we have to offer. And Anthony, I, in in that regard, um, uh, you're, uh, I've been meaning to talk to you because I think one of the ways that we could promote these things uh, is through the radio reading services. And yeah. Mike, Mike Duke is already, you know, he's already a, a, a part of that world. And I'm sure, you know, we could pull together some, some stuff that people would be interested in, in listening to on the radio reading services and uh, try to uh, use that as an outreach. So Aaron, Anthony, I want to um, I want to ask if we have hands raised. I, I don't want the time to fly away before we give an opportunity to anybody who would like to join the conversation. You read my mind. I was just about to butt in and say, hey, guys, we got some hands. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and unmute Mike and lower your hand. Oop, I just muted hey. you again, Mike. Sorry. Go ahead. Hey, no, Mike, welcome I'm to Sunday edition. How you doing, yes, Anthony? You Mike are. Cadino, how are you? Hey, Mike. Uh, <clears throat> welcome back. Uh, thanks. And uh, I, I just, you know, I want to thank you for doing this. But And, and Tyson, thank you so much. Uh, you, you basically told my story and uh, it, it went on and on. I can, I have so much to say, but uh, just to, to, you know, go with what is most recent, um, uh, Tyson, I, I live with the cheesecloth. I look through it every day. I didn't know how to describe it. My day was August 28, 1992. I woke up, I couldn't see. I was an automobile mechanic, but that's gone, that's passed. And, uh, you know, going forward now, I, I've learned a great deal. And uh, here we are, but um, I, I found ACB, sat around the room the first time and looked around and said, this isn't me. And uh, kind of got involved a little bit, but attended my first convention, was raising money for a convention. Second convention, CCLVI was hosting what they called the support group. 
And I went to that support group. I sat around. There was a bunch of PhDs involved with CCLVI at the time. And uh, they wanted to run this support group, which was wonderful because I actually had my first opportunity. Now, this is four years into my blindness. And I had my first opportunity to sit there and, and look at a bunch of blind people sitting around a room and saying, look, blindness sucks. They took away my car keys, took away my, 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 my career, took away, you know, and I never got to say that anywhere. And that was the first time I ever got, had the opportunity to, to actually share how I felt. So this was really wonderful in, in you guys sharing your little stories and, and, and letting me know that that was something that, I experienced way back then and kind of pushed my way through and, and just kind of put into my past and said, oh, well, we're okay with that. But uh, I like where you guys are taking this. And uh, I, I think that um, just so that you know, the radio, the, um, the um, me meetings that are going on now with the community calls that are happening. Um, I'm, a, I'm an active member of ACBDA now Diabetics in Action. And um, since that whole process has begun, we have picked up 30 new members. So it, it, it oh, is yeah. working to some extent. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so just, uh, you know, and I would love to be a part of that going forward. But, I, you know, this was really a great thing. My MS diagnosis was, as I said, August 28th. I'm a high partial. I don't need the cane, but I don't see level changes. So I use the cane for level changes and uh, I get along fairly well. I'm, I'm fully independent and, and uh, but finding that spot and not having to start at the bottom, I've never really worked um, as a blind person other than to do advocacy for the disability rights movement, the uh, independent living movement. And, you know, so, and that was only because I was given my freedom to do what I needed to do and, uh, you know, preach what I needed to preach. But it, it, it's really a tough spot that we get put into. And if you want to start at the bottom, you're welcome to do so. But if you want to start, you know, mid-level, you're not welcome to join us, you know, because you need to start at the bottom because you can't see. And, uh, you know, so basically keep me on the mailing list. I want to be a part of this. Thanks. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate that. But you, you kind of touched on something that, that I was talking with someone else a couple, about a month ago or so is, you know, it's okay. It is, there's nothing wrong with waking up that morning and, and having, having been, like I said, having gone from 2020 to, to, to something other than 2020 vision and to sit there and have that day where you go you know it sucks yeah it really does and to say that and to be like okay so that's fine it does now but it's not forever and you well, know when it's not forever there's still going to be moments where it sucks and, you know well, i think my niece is is preparing to get married and i think to myself you know i i want I want that moment where she looks and she says, I do. And he looks at her and he says, I do. I want that moment. It sucks that someone's going to have to tell me what that looks like. And at the time I was in college, I had a 4.0 average. I was, I was, things were wonderful for me. They were super, but I never, ever had the opportunity, you know, for four years, I, I looked forward and said, no, let's do this and let's do that and let's make our life better this way and that way and the other way. But I never got to look back and say, no, no, no. Because My you life got you thrown to in go the toilet. Forward. <laughs> right. Yeah, you have to figure out how to live. You have to figure out how to feed yourself. You have to figure out how to get from point A to point B. It doesn't even occur to you to grieve it until at some point, and, and for all, each of us it's different, but at some point you get to that point and you're like, oh, wait a minute. You know what? It is okay for me to look back and say, this is what was, and, and this sucks. 
but <laughs> that's, I'm that's living grief. and I'm going to live. Because that's yeah. grief. Grief, grief, is, grief is the matter of processing something that you don't have any longer. You know, no matter Byron, what that is. Who else do we have, my friend? All right. Well, thank you for your comments, Mike. We really appreciate those. Uh, next, we have Lori. Lori, I'm going to go ahead and... Oh, see, they're so quick. They unmute themselves. I barely have to do anything. Thank Lori, you. welcome back to Sunday Edition. Thank you. So I would just like to add, um, I this past um, semester, I was working on some stuff for one of my classes, and I found that, sadly, for people who are blind on average, from the time of diagnosis of legal blindness, which we all also know that sometimes can take longer <coughs> than actually when blindness occurred to the time of receiving rehabilitation services is five years, which I think is very sad. And um, I will speculate that some of that has to do with the lack of um, Reach. psychosocial effectiveness of ophthalmologists yeah. and yes. them oh, not yes. <laughs> understanding the importance of helping somebody to move along in all other areas of their life. And it's like, well, okay. You know, let's, I mean, we have a neighbor who used to live across the street from us and her husband literally three years after she was legally blind said to the ophthalmologist, is my wife legally blind? And he said, oh yeah, it's been that way for about three years. Uh -huh. but this poor yep. woman had been strung along, try this magnifier, try that magnifier, oh, well, maybe, you know, lighting didn't help you before in a magnifier, but maybe it'll help you now. And you know what? When you sit down in an ophthalmologist's office and you look at something with a magnifier, it's a little better than what you're used to seeing. But in a day or two, it goes back to where your vision was. You know, um, before um, Tyson was talking about, no, was it? No, it was you, Anthony, talking about the bookshelf and your brain filling things in, you know, these are all aspects of vision loss that really have to be understood. And the, yeah. gr the grieving process is a very important one um, because it also will help people understand what they're capable of going forward. Yeah. In various conversations, you know, before I even set out to do this series of shows, but definitely while I was preparing myself, I've come across quite a few people that had versions of this, um, went to the ophthalmologist, was going through the process, this and that. And then along the way, a year, two years into it, someone else told them, well, have you received low vision services? And they were like, I, I go to the, the doctor, da, da. no, 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 no. Have you received low vision services? And then they go back to the doctor. Oh yeah, did you want that? Or, you know, we don't really have that in this area or that's not gonna help you. How do you know it's not gonna help, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I could go on and on and on about various things I've heard, but it it's, really, it's, 
it's a bad, bad, bad state of affairs at this point. Yeah, the I just want to say the other issue is that there's not a lot of good, hardcore, in-depth research related to people who are blind. And that's for a whole host of reasons. And I would encourage people when possible to participate in studies because you never know yes. how much research can affect things. It's, you know, it's, it's not like your ethnicity that you're asked optionally on a form, you know, so a lot of times I always say like, you know, they don't know how many blind people got hit by cars. Cause that's not a statistic that's kept. <laughs> yep. You know, so whenever possible, when there is research out there, please, you know, if people have the opportunity to reach out and let people know about your experiences, I do think that's critical and it may help research down the road. And I think ACP at large would like to thank you for putting up the, the research uh, links when you get them. And I know all the information that you provide to us on the various lists. So thank you for coming to Sunday edition and please come back for the subsequent subsequent conversations we're going to have. Byron, who's up next? All right. Next we have Tom. Hey, Tom, I'm going to go ahead and unmute you. Yep. Hmm. This is very weird. Sometimes I unmute people and they stay muted. So uh, I'm not hearing that. I'm not hearing Tom speak. So I'm going to say going once. Doesn't he also have to unmute himself? Yeah, he may have to unmute himself. I'm going to say going once, going twice, and so We'll come back to Tom. We'll yeah, come back to, to Tom. Let's go ahead and unmute Don. Uh, Don, you are unmuted. Go ahead and Is this Mr. Yourself. Horn? Yes, it is. Don, welcome to Sunday Edition. Thank you for joining us. You should be able to unmute yourself now, Don. I'm not sure why people are not being able to unmute. I'm clicking unmute, um, and they are not unmuting. There we go. There you go. Okay. Right. No, I, I th that was my own stupidity, which is not surprising. Um, to get back to the topic, I have to say, I think this is probably the most important thing that has aired on ACB radio, because it is a separate similar in some ways, but separate issue to address sudden vision loss. I'm, I want to address three quick things, but I want to say I'm only speaking as myself. I'm not speaking for my employer, for my profession, whatever, but I've been a rehabilitation professional for 40 years and I've been working in the blindness field for 31. I, I think there are three things. One thing that I quote unquote take issue with, because I don't think I really, I don't think we really disagree, but I believe that as a rehabilitation counselor, it is, if I do not get to know each individual to the greatest degree that I can, I will fail, no matter what my expertise is. If I don't know how, the more I know about how someone thinks, I say to my clients, our participants, yeah. I say to my participants, um, <laughs> what, what, tell me about your favorite teacher in grade school. Or when people come into the office with sudden vision loss, it's so funny, I was listening to the beginning of this and I thought, these are my questions, he stole my, because I say to them, what one thing, if we could answer one question by the end of the intake, 
pick the question. And that's one of the things I sometimes use to begin with people with sudden vision loss. And the other thing I say to them is, if I say blind, what do you think of? And sometimes they'll say a monster, sometimes. And it allows for the beginning of the discussion of not what is blind, because we ain't there yet. What is blind to you? Yeah, I can't yeah. if I don't know that. Um, the other thing I will say is that this idea of outcome-based services sounds really good. In the state where I happen to practice, for example, we have to do outcome-based service delivery, and it sounds great. Well, what are we going to pay for if the outcome isn't met? But adjustment is not an outcome. What I say to my clients is adjustment is not an event it's a process and here's what's going to happen. We're going to take two steps forward, one step back, four yes. steps forward, five steps back. And what I say to them is what I'm willing to do in the same way as you may take someone's arm and you have a guide going into wherever you're going, if, you, if that's the way you travel, I'm going to be that guide for you. We may both trip on occasion but I'm not gonna let go. We're gonna walk together as much as we can and as often as, but I can't do that effectively. If, 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 if the person is, if the outcome is in the middle of the circle, rather than the person being in the middle of the circle, if my focus is on get that outcome, I'm not gonna get that outcome. And you cannot do adjustment in 12 weeks. Now, the other thing is when we look at WIOA, WIOA has created two major problems that, at least in my mind, in my opinion, one is that there is a lot of data gathering that has to happen in a particular order. So you cannot move ahead with services unless you have all these pieces of data. Well, what it mm -hmm. means is my usual intake is two hours. I had someone who was suddenly blind overnight overnight, the intake took six and a half hours. And I was not happy with, because I felt like I had to push him through part of it. But in order to move the services forward, I had to try to keep, and I felt like I wasn't honoring his story because he needed so desperately, he really needed to spend the whole six hours talking. And I would have done that except that I had surveyed my clients uh, a few months ago and said, if I took the intake and broke it down into th two meetings, do you think that would work better? And across the board, they said, nope, put us through that hellish intake because then we feel like service is starting, but it's very difficult. The other problem is that the individualized plan for employment, that's the roadmap no. of services. I say, that that's the client voice in the process. It's true that I sometimes also have said, if that's the client's voice in the process, our clients must have laryngitis because it's written in such a way that it's hard to hear the voice. But we have to write that plan within 60 days of opening a case unless there are extenuating circumstances and they gotta be really extenuating. So what does that mean? That means that at the top of that plan, we have to write a vocational goal. 
And the vocational goal has to come from the dictionary of occupational titles. So here we have somebody that doesn't believe their whole life is torn apart. Yep. They don't, and they in don't 16 think they can, they've got to be on They don't know yeah. that they can make a sandwich. Exactly. And in 60 days, and what I keep yelling about is, our people are going to aim low if we do that. Because in 60 days, they're not going to see, in all likelihood, they're not going to see their potential. They're going to be trying to figure out, well, I actually walked down the block and what am I going to do? My family, how do I show my white cane on the street? They're not thinking about, could I be a lawyer? They're not there yet. And when we push that and force that, because legislation requires it, we're doing a disservice to people because it is not an event. It's a process. And I just, there is so much that ACB can do. But before, just one more thing, I'll shut up finally. Before the task force starts making policy, the task force has to hear a greater diversity of stories because ACB, I've been a member since 81, and this is not ACB's fault, but ACB misses a lot of pieces of the population, including people who are suddenly experience sudden vision loss, although the community calls I think will help a lot with that. But before policy is set, got to know who you're setting policy for. And it's, it is partly about statistics, but it has to be about Anthony and Tyson and Joe yes. and Marilyn. Yes. And now I'm going to shut up. Thank you, Don. And please come back next month when we pick this conversation up again. Don, uh, Byron, who else do we have? Thank I, you, Don, for joining us. I just want to thank Don as well because I'm a I'm a I'm a assistive technology specialist, professional, and uh, it's hard to work within the confines of the legislation. So uh, I, I just, man, you said a lot of things that I was pumping my fists in the air, going yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And we're going to tackle a bunch of what Don said <clears throat> on the next conversation. Absolutely. Looks like Byron, Tom who's has, up next. Looks like Tom has gotten himself this unmuted. Is Doug, so. can I just can I jump in here? Yeah. Sure, Doug. Um, the uh, I I basically wrote and and the the board uh, endorsed a uh, white paper on rehabilitation. Um, it's called the 2020 Status of Rehabilitation for Blind and Visually Impaired, um, and it's available on the ACB website uh, on the um, uh, the Rehab Issues Task Force. Uh, page. And um, I'd, I'd love to have Don and Byron and, and, you know, and anybody else who wants to, you know, wants to read it and tell me what I got right. Tell me what I got wrong. What, what do we need to, you know, cause we are going into trying to, uh, trying to get WIOA re-looked at. And so I, I, I do want to you know, I do want to have the policy be right. And this is sort of the closest thing to a policy that we have right at the moment. So I'd like to have- feedback. Can you forward me a link to that so I can have it posted to the show notes? Um, so people that are listening- It's right on the RIT. Version. It's right on the Re uh, Rehab Issues Task Force page. The link is right there. Okay, thank you. Byron, anyone else else? All right, looks like Tom, we got three more people. So we're gonna have to cram them in. Hi, so Tom. keep your comments okay. short. Um, I had a question. Is it John? 
with the Committee of Blindness and Aging uh, with ACB? Doug. 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 Okay. Um, how could I get involved in that is my first question, because I think I'd be really uh, interested in that. And Great. Uh, my next is not really a question, but what I've learned, and because where I live is, you know, way out in the east side of Orange County, and it's it, what used to be rural, and now it's really getting, you know, more cityfied. But I did a lot of uh, self-advocacy for myself. I have taught uh, people in restaurants how to seat me, how to walk me through a restaurant, or how to get me to the restroom. Uh, and that kind of helped me a lot because I, you know, they thank me and everybody's been pleasant to me. I mean, I've been lucky. Uh, people I've run into and helped me. Oh, you're blind. Let me help you. You know, let me let me show you the proper way to do this. And they've been very nice. Um, and I just got myself out in the backyard because, like I said, I was a landscape uh, amateur landscape designer. I just started digging back in the yard where I knew I, what I had planted. Uh, one day it was in the wrong yard, but that's okay, you know. Uh, Tom, I'm gonna put you on porch for a moment. We're gonna stay on the call after we leave um, the the air on ACB Radio Mainstream, but I wanted to give Doug the opportunity to let everybody know where they can uh, go for information okay. on uh, the task force and the affiliate, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Great, thanks. Um, so, uh, I, I think, um, the easiest oh. way is to go to acb.org and for, and the uh, rehab issues task force is a task force uh, under the committees and task forces. So if you go uh, on that main page uh, at acb.org, you can go to committees and task forces okay. uh, and um, and and find the uh, rehab rehabilitation issues task force there, uh, and that'll take you to the page. If you want to go to the uh, Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss, which is a special interest affiliate, you go to the affiliate page, and that'll ask whether you want a state or a, a special interest affiliate. So you say special interest affiliate, and it should be fairly high on the list because it's double A. <laughs> Okay. Thank you. <laughs> and I, I know I know we have a Tom's website too, but I, I it's I think it's AAVL dash blind dash something, and I've forgotten what it It'll is. It'll be listed under special interest affiliates on the ACB yes. Yes. website as so that's well. Why it's, yeah, it's easier to go to the ACB website and get it from the special interest affiliate page. Oh. So let me jump in for the moment. We'll continue the call after we go off air, but let me jump in and say thank you so much once again to Tyson Ernst. Uh, thank you very much to Tom Babcock. Thank you very much to those who called in. Doug Powell, board member, thank you so much. Hopefully you will join us next month when we pick this conversation back up. And if you would like to ask any questions, make any comments or suggest any show topics or need any information about the stuff we were talking about today, my email is celebration with my with my initials, C-E-L-E-B-R-A-T-I-O-N-A-C at AOL.com. This has been Sunday edition. Also, thank you so much as always to Byron Lee, my engineer extraordinaire behind the scenes. I'll be back next week with another great topic and we'll be back next month with the continuation of this topic. Thanks everyone. You've been listening to 
Sunday edition with Anthony on ACB Radio Mainstream. For more information, questions, comments, feedback, suggestions, etc., please email celebration AC. That's the word celebration with the letters AC at AOL.com. Look forward to hearing from you and let's brunch again next Sunday.